0: to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We're starting a new sermon series today that's going to last for a while. This is the maybe till Jesus comes back. I don't know. This is going to be we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. So uh, we're going to be preaching on the Gospel of Mark, which is really about the person and purpose of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. Um, And so we're going to be walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And I'm sure we'll take a break every now and then to... Acknowledge Christmas and, and Easter and Thanksgiving and different things like that. But uh, we want to go through the gospel because I really want you to have a firm grasp of the story of Jesus, who he is, what he came to do. And so, in your own personal um, Bible reading, feel free to open to the book of Mark. It's really a pretty easy read. Um, it's one of the easier reads of the gospels. And so, I figured, hey, I, I think I should probably preach on that because if I preached on any of the other gospels, it would literally. Uh, I would just die preaching through Matthew. I'd get stuck on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'd never move off of five, six, and seven. So, so, so we're going into Mark. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter one, verse one, the very beginning. We're starting uh, the gospel of Mark. And if not, it'll be up here on the screen. Um, I'm reading from the New King James Version, which is usually what I'll be reading from. Um, and this is Mark 1, 1, uh, New King James Version. It says, the beginning... Of The gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. I like that. This is the beginning so The gospel the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God is still Being told today This is the beginning. This is how it all started but your life and my life We continue the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the beginning though So it's good to go back To the beginning. And so it says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the son of God. And that that is the gospel in a nutshell. That Jesus has an exclusive claim as the son of God. And that's who he is. This is the beginning of that gospel. As it is written in the prophets. So this is how the author of Mark starts the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That it's written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Just FYI, I I find it really interesting that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, starts out with a prophecy, not about Jesus, about somebody else. He says, Behold, I send my, capital M, uh, I guess you can't see that. No no you should be able to see that, yeah I send my capital m i do are we on verse two do we do we have verse two or, okay so so verse two behold I send so I send my capital m messenger, so the messenger is a small case m, so my means God, so God says, behold, I send my small case, m messenger, so this is just a human, before your, capital Y, face. So this is God the Father speaking to God the Son, saying, behold, I send my messenger before your face. So, so and, and John, uh, John's gospel, which is not John the Baptist, but uh, John the Revelator, in John's gospel, he also starts off his gospel with this story about the messenger. And, that the, and it's very clear the messenger is not Jesus, he's somebody else. And so who is he? Well, in verse 4 it says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So the, the messenger is John. John is the messenger that the Father is sending before the face or before the Son, Jesus. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching the baptism uh, for re- repentance Uh, of repentance for remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea, that's amazing. Then all of the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Wow. So before Jesus even steps on the scene, there is revival breaking out. All of uh, people in Judea and those from Jerusalem. Now, I don't know when it says all. I'm not sure if that means literally every single person in Judea. I don't. I don't know. I guess it could just be like when somebody says all of Austin was coming out to to this event. It means like like every region of Austin was affected, every, every skin color, every economic background, all, it doesn't necessarily mean every single individual, but it means just a collective that really displays the broader collective of Judea and, and Jerusalem. All of Judea and Jerusalem or it could mean every single one but they were all baptized by him they came out to him and they weren't just spectators they didn't just sit and listen to him preach but they all responded to the message that John was preaching which was what repent of your sins turn away from your sin man that's that that's awesome (laughs) come on somebody uh wow they are Like like it's one thing to get all of Judea out to hear about how God wants to bless you. (laughs) But this guy is saying, turn from your sins. It's usually not a popular message. Usually doesn't stir people up to be like, oh yeah, did you go listen to that guy? He was great. He told me to stop sinning. This is wonderful. Well, really, but what's the... Okay, and uh, I'm kind of busy Friday night. I think I'm good. But no, all of Judea and all of Jerusalem, they're coming out to him and they're hearing a very basic message to turn away from their sins and to be baptized as a symbol or a sign that they're stepping into a new life. That's awesome. I, 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 I kind of like John. John is, John is a beast. John is the man. somehow, I mean, John has got to be a really good preacher to somehow make this convey to people in such a way that they act on it so quickly. They're all confessing their sins. Man, your neighbors go down into the water and start confessing their sins. Last week I did this. A year ago I cheated on this. And can you imagine, can you imagine the kind of revival that's breaking out in Judea and in Jerusalem because everyone is going out to John and they're confessing their sins and they're being baptized. Now John... And this is interesting little detail. John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. In other words, he was was strange. He's a strange bird. (laughs) And he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse nine it goes into Jesus's story. I want today to preach from John's story. I want to preach and and share with you how I feel that this applies to us today. I, I believe that that God is just stirring up kind of a John, a John sort of anointing. That God is stirring up people to to be almost like John in this season, because. And this, this is what stuck out to me that at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the story about Jesus is this story about somebody not named Jesus, which is exactly how God works. This is how God has always worked. That at the beginning of something about somebody else is somebody not named somebody else. That there are people who, who build the stage, who never stand on the stage. But the people who build the stage are just as important in the plan of God as the people who stand on the stage. That anytime God is about to do something, John Wesley put it like this. He said, God never does anything except in response to prayer. And I was sharing that with Gene back, back, back when I was in Bible college, and Gene's coming down to preach, and, I was, and we were kind of arguing about that, because I said, well, you know, John Wesley said, God never does anything except in response to prayer, and that's why we're having Thursday night prayer meetings down in the basement, of the, because God doesn't do anything except in response to prayer. And he said, well, I don't know. I mean, really, any, like anything, anything. And I said, no, ever since creation, God established an order by which he would do things. Now, creation, he did all by himself. There was nobody around to pray or to ask him to do anything. He just created everything. And then he called on mankind and he put mankind in charge. He said, I give you authority over everything. And because he gave man authority over everything, he wanted to work in partnership with man to accomplish anything. That anything God was going to do on planet Earth, he was going to do in coordination with man, with humans, with men and women. He was going to take hands and lock arms with us to accomplish anything on the Earth. And so, even to this day, he doesn't do anything until his people do something. Somebody's kind of staring at me. And and, 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 and I realize it's a difficult concept to grasp because it's very un-like. 21st century, because you know we're always singing about what's that song, which is a good song, but it's a uh, 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 there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me, right? And it, the idea, and it's true that he'll leave the 99 and go after the one, absolutely, but it's like the idea is you almost get the sense that God is like the Kool Aid Man. I don't know if you remember the Kool Aid guy. He comes busting through the, the the wall, you know, or through the brick wall. I, you guys remember those commercials, the Kool-Aid guy? He's like, Whoa. It's like I don't know how, what that meant. I don't know why he's breaking through walls and stuff. But apparently a lot of sugar and a lot of red dye breaks through walls. It does does do damage. That is true. So there is that. But, you know, we it's like God is almost like the Kool-Aid guy. He's just like, he's going to hunt you down. He's going to chase you down. He's going to do And it's not necessarily the way that God typically works. For instance, the father, in in Jesus' parable of of, of, of the prodigal son, the father did not go out and get the prodigal son. The father didn't chase him down. The father didn't call his relatives in the far country and say, hey, could you look out for my boy? No, the father stayed in his home. And so God is not the kind of God that will come sit in the pig pen with you. (laughs) He's not the kind of God who will get down in the slop with you and be like, it's okay, I'm here. No, he's not in the pig pen. He's not in the sin. He's not in the compromise. He's not in the place that you have decided to go. He is back where he has always been. And he's mercifully waiting. And as soon as you return to him, he will then cover the ground between you and him. Absolutely. And he'll come running, but you have to make a step first. And so what happens is God does stir up inside of us, and he does take the first step that you cannot see, but then he waits for us to start moving toward him. He waits for a John before he sends Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son after he gave John. (laughs) Like technically, God did not, would not send Jesus until John showed up on the scene. So, you know, people say, "Well, why did what why did God wait so long to send Jesus? Maybe he's waiting for a John." Maybe he's waiting for somebody to prepare the way, prepare what? The way for Jesus. So, so like, like, I believe that God wants to break out in revival in Austin. I believe God wants to break out in revival in America. I believe God wants to build his church and to win the lost. But I believe God is also waiting for somebody to prepare his way. It's not a lack of power. It's not for lack of power that people are dying and going to hell. It is not for lack of power that people stay stuck in their addictions. It's not because God is lacking power, he's lacking pavers. <laughs> he's lacking like it's like it's, it's like okay so 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 tomorrow morning uh congratulations good job. Tomorrow morning uh, uh me and, and Roe and Matt and Michael we're we're getting on a plane and we're going to fly uh we're going to fly to Michigan. It's supposed to be 107 degrees here in Austin tomorrow, so we getting out of Dodge, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I love you, God bless you, uh, you're on your own, all right? The wrath, we are escaping the wrath which is to come. Apparently God is angry with Texas, and so uh, until he figures things out and, uh, you know, doesn't want to kill me with the weather, I'm getting to has already took off taken off uh, with her kids they're driving and I think Pete's going to fly are you on the same flight with me so anyway Pete's going to be there with me too and so uh, and so you know so we're 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 going to get going to get on a plane that's got like a lot of gas on it and it's got like you know a lot of gadgets and it's got a, a a pilot assuming he shows up or she shows up anyway so hopefully there's a pilot there's stewardesses and all that kind of thing and and like we're going to get on the plane but all if the plane doesn't have a runway. Every plane, before anybody thinks about flying or getting on a plane, they have to make sure that there is a runway. And there's some pavers that are going to lay the runway. And I don't know if the people that laid the runway in the south terminal of Austin, because that's where we're flying out of, I don't know if they ever actually flew on a plane. But they laid the runway for thousands, millions of others to take off. And God is looking for people who are willing to lay the runway for his move on the earth that maybe they're not going to be on the plane. Maybe they're not going to get the credit. Maybe no one's going to come to see them in the Coliseum and cheer their name and buy their albums. But somebody's got to lay the runway for God to take off. You know what I mean? So the, the, like, it's not, God is not lacking power. He's lacking pavers. He's lacking people who who will just simply lay out the runway for his power to take off in their generation. And so I don't know, I don't know, but I think God was waiting for John. God himself tells his son, behold, I send my messenger before you and he will prepare the way. He will make your way straight. He'll clean up your path. He'll lay a runway for Jesus. For the Messiah, because the the single most influential person in the Gospels is Jesus. But the second most influential person is a guy who dies early on in Jesus' ministry named John. And Mark, the author of Mark, doesn't want us to forget that. Doesn't want us to think that it just started, that God just decided one day I'll send my son and so he did. No, no, no. Before he sent his son, he called on a John, and John was obedient, and John was faithful, and then he sent his son. And John saw revival, and John saw a move of God, and John saw all of Judea and all of Jerusalem coming out to him to be baptized by him for the repentance of sin. They're turning their lives around. And so I have two points for you today. If we're going to be a John generation, if we're going to step up into the John anointing, uh, if we're going to prepare a way, then we're going to have to do two things. And first is we're going to have to come out. So the first thing that John did is he came out. We know that from, from, from other gospels that John actually lived in the wilderness. And, 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 and Mark alludes to this. It says, it says, John, what does it say? He came uh, from the wilderness baptizing. Well, how do you get from the wilderness? because he lived in the wilderness, Now, personally, if I was John's publicist and I was, and I was saying, okay, now you're going to have to, you're going to have to have this, 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 this nationwide ministry that's going to impact all of Judea and all of Jerusalem. I would say you probably need to live in the city. You need to marry somebody from the city. You need to get your kids in their schools. You need to brush shoulders with them. You'll run into them at HEB. You'll get to know them, right? You'll, you'll, you'll be friendly. You'll get on Facebook. You'll get some friends. You'll build up influence, because you're gonna need influence if you're gonna be, be calling all of Jerusalem and all of Judea out to this desert to be baptized, you're gonna to need to be a very influential person. So you need to become an influencer. So get on YouTube, do some crazy stuff, swallow some Tide Pods, whatever you have to do, become an, <laughs> don't do that, become an influencer. I mean, he had, the, he had the whole crazy hair thing, right? And the crazy clothes and the eating, that was interesting but 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 he's not doing the typical things that we think of when we think of influence because god values influence differently we often think that friendship creates influence that relationship creates influence and we see influencers as these people who have all of these followers. But if you were to talk with those influencers and and, and and ask them, okay, so what can you post about? What can you do on your YouTube channel? They would mimic, they would reflect to you the standards of their followers. So who is actually being influenced? The influencer or the ones who are following the influencer? So the, the influencer or influencers, plural, they're just mirror images of those who are following them because popularity is not influence. Popularity is merely saying what people want to hear, doing what people want to see. And as soon as you change your tune, as soon as you say something people don't want to hear or do something people don't want to see, they'll unfollow you. They'll unsubscribe. They'll click that bell again, you know. They'll smash that unlike button, you know. Like they will, they, like they, they, they will, you will stop being an influencer, Because popularity is different from influence. John influenced the entire nation of Israel from a place of of complete otherness. He came out from among them. And that was basically the word that God was speaking on Wednesday night. I don't know if any of you were here in first Wednesday worship, but I was, I don't know, God just kind of laid a word on my heart and I was like singing or speaking. I'm not sure if I was singing or speaking or what it was happening, but it was just this call to the body of Christ to come out from among them. That you are not, you're not helping the cause of Christ by being liked. People liking you does not make Jesus look any better. People, people following you does not make Jesus any more popular. In fact, Jesus isn't interested in popularity because popularity is not influenced. Jesus is influ- interested in influencing this generation and influence comes from otherness. Influ- influence comes from a separation. When the world sees a Christian who looks just like them, they're not influenced by that person, right? But John doesn't look like folks. He doesn't sound like folks. He doesn't even eat at the same restaurants as everybody else. The guy's eating bugs and honey, you know, and, and, and yet he is influencing because influence comes from God, At the end of the day, influence, uh, John talks about, in John chapter four, John the Baptist talks about how influence is a gift from God. This is something that God gives. God gives influence and you win influence with people by gaining influence with God. And God is not interested in your popularity or my popularity. He's not interested in making us look good and making people think that we are cool and making people think that what we're saying makes sense. No, no, Paul said that what we're saying actually sounds stupid to people. It sounds crazy to people. It sounds ridiculous, this whole idea of Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection and the power of salvation, this all sounds crazy. And it's not influential to everybody, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God because the spirit speaks to the spirit and those who are ready to listen to the spirit will hear the message. And so I wanna call on you to come out from among them. Stop trying to fit in, you're not made to fit in. You're not made to look like them or sound like them. You're not made to be accepted. By the very people God's called you to reach, you're not made to be accepted by them. God didn't intend. And their rejection of you is not a rejection of God's calling on you. Their judgment of you and me is not a a reflection on God's calling on us. It's actually, it just means that God's setting us up to influence them. God took John and called him into the wilderness, called him away, called him apart. And in this, in this season of great togetherness where we seem to believe that we'll find our identity together and we'll find solutions together and we'll find common ground and we'll, we'll stand together. I feel like the Lord is calling us to stand apart, to stand out To come out of our Christian closet and stop being ashamed and afraid to admit that we are followers of Jesus. In our jobs and at our schools and in our own families. That you don't have to be politically correct to be influential. (laughs) You You don't have to say the right things or think along the same lines as other people for God to use you. God grabs John and sends him out into the desert, into the wilderness for years. This is where he, this is his Bible college. He grows up in the wilderness. And so he has great influence with God. And so, so I'm calling on us to come out, to come out from, from, from among them, is what, is what uh, Revelation says, and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. In other words, let your life not reflect the lives of those around you. Let your attitude not reflect the attitude of those around you. And this is, this, is, this is called moving out or coming out. And by the way, John had to come out before he could call anyone else out. John was, John was preaching repentance from a place of repentance. Yeah. And that's so important. John is preaching repentance from a place of repentance. He himself has repented. He himself has turned away from his sin. He himself is being obedient to God as much as he knows in the moment. And so it's from that place that he's calling on other people. Hey, follow God. Hey, be obedient to God. Hey, submit your life to God. And it's not from a place of this is the right thing to do. This is coming from a place of this is what I have done. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And let me tell you, it is worth it. You will be glad that you followed God. Uh, Peter had a similar message on the day of Pentecost. Uh, I think we have that passage, uh, Acts chapter two. Uh, people are asking him, "What must we do to be saved?" And so, in the, uh, the the New King James, the New King James, he says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, "Be saved from this perverse generation." Be saved means come out, or be rescued, or be taken away from. So this is this is his basic exhortation: get out. <laughs> Get out of this generation. Stop thinking like the people around you. Stop acting like the people around you. Stop living like the people around you. I kind of like the way the message uh, puts it. It says he went on in this vein for a long time. Come on, somebody. That's a a preacher right there. He went on this vein for a long time. This wasn't no 25-minute sermon. He went on this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture because that's what it is. It's the culture that sucks us in. And so John had to remove himself from the culture so that he wasn't caught up in the culture. He didn't think like the culture. He didn't value like the culture. And this is the call of God, I think, to this generation, is come out from among them. You're too, like, I know back in the day people would say, well, you don't want to be too, too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Right? Right. You don't want to be too heavenly minded, no earthly good. I've never met anybody in my entire life that was too heavenly minded that there were no earthly good. Apparently, the most heavenly minded person of all, God, happened to, from his heavenly mindset, send his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Turns out, the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you do. Turns out most of us are way too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. We're far too earth influenced and earth uh, motivated. We're, we, are, we, are, we are driven by things that will not mean anything 100 years from now. We're caught up in it. We're, we're just driven by it and we're wondering, okay, how can I take the next step and, and get ahead in, in, in whatever sphere, temporal sphere that I'm living in? And so we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good because heaven is concerned with 100 years from now, 200 years from now. What are you doing now that will affect eternity? And so we have to come out. We have to come out so that we get out of their mindset. We have to come out so we get out of the value system of this world. And so I don't mean like quit your job and, and, and don't go to school. I mean, in, in your heart, come out. I mean, with your mouth, come out. Because you can, you, can, you can sit at... A desk and you can sit in your cubicle or whatever your job is and 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 everybody in your life they have no idea that you're a Christian (laughs) so it's time to come out it's time to let people know with your life yes with your mouth yes Uh, what's his name uh said you know uh uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary you use words guess what it's necessary start using them it's necessary because people are not getting it simply by your life. They don't spend enough time with you. They don't spend enough time with anyone. They don't really get to know people. And so the time has come to use words. The time has come to be bold. The time has come to come out from among them. And then John called them out. He called out the people. Right, he called out sin. He did. He called out sin uh, in in in. I think I think it's in John's gospel. Uh, no, it's in Luke's gospel. He calls out the the, the 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 Roman soldiers who came out to him. Yeah, that's right. Roman soldiers were coming out to John's baptism services, and they were asking him, "What should we do?" And 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 he tells them. He says, "Don't cheat people." Don't use your position because you could oppress people. Don't use it to oppress people. He never told him to like stop being a Roman soldier, but he said, look, you're a Roman soldier, but don't, don't, don't use that position to better yourself. Use it to help others. There were tax collectors who said, John, what should we do? And he said, look, don't overcharge people in their taxes. Charge exactly what the Roman government charges, but oftentimes tax collectors would add a little bit on top so that they get a little bit of a bigger cut. John says, stop doing that. Stop being dishonest. Now, he didn't say, like, start a revolt, go storm the capital of Rome and tell them, I'm not going to collect taxes for you jerks. No, like, he did keep collecting taxes for the evil oppressors. Just don't add to your own pockets. <laughs> In other words, be honest on your taxes, be honest. In, 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 in every area of your finances don't 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 try to get ahead in fact then he looked to all of the the Israelites that had come out from Judea and he said look whoever has two coats take one and give it to somebody who has none he's talking to poor people I mean dirt poor people oppressed people and he says all right you got two jackets he, she has none how would you give her one and so he called on everybody from poor people to rich people, tax collectors, to Roman soldiers. He called out the religious leaders. Religious leaders came out to his meeting one time and he said, who told you to escape from the wrath to come, you, you brood of vipers? In other words, this message doesn't apply to you. This is only for people who want God. So uh, there's the door, buddy. You know what I mean? Like He called them out on their lack of desire to actually repent. He's like, you, you, you guys aren't even interested in this. So just, just, just go along your merry way. I mean, this, like he's calling out sin because it's not wrong to call out sin. It's not unloving to, to go up to somebody that you have influence with and to say with them, look, I'm concerned about this in your life. I'm concerned about this attitude. I'm concerned about this inconsistency. I'm concerned about this, this, this lack of, of devotion. I'm concerned about this, this, this lukewarmness that's seeping into your life. Right? And it's not judgmental. And it's not condemnation. You can call people out without condemning them. Because this is what John did. John was calling people out not to say, you know what, You're, just, just forget it. Except the guys for whom it was literally, it's like, well, just forget it. But for most of the Judean countryside, he was saying, look, I'm calling you out in order to call you up. I want more for you. Because there's this path. And Jesus, the, the Messiah, the, the Redeemer of Israel, wants to make his way to you. But there's stuff blocking his path to you. I'm trying to help you get it out of the way. This is why we call people out. And I don't mean like on Facebook call people. No, I mean like in conversations. I mean, like, in people that we have relationship with, right? There's no need to call out the Washington Post. Like, that's ridiculous. And An open letter to so-and-so. No, how about a private letter? Let's start there. Like, an actual communication to somebody that says, look, man, there's, there's, there, like, there's some stuff in the way. I see what God wants to do in your life, and I see how he wants to come to you, but this is blocking, right? Your greed is blocking God. Your sexual addiction is blocking God. Your attitude is blocking God. Your marriage is blocking God. Not that your marriage is bad, but you just put your wife on this pedestal and God can't get to you. You've put your husband on this, he's your rock and, and, and whatever, and, and God can't get, he's, he's in the way. So he needs, your boyfriend needs to get out of the way. Your husband, of the way. your kids are in the way. Your education, I'm sorry, is in the way. It's blocking you. It's like your, your, your job is getting in the way. I just can't go to church because I'm just working so much. Well, you know, uh, get it out of the way. <laughs> I mean, because you choose your priorities. You decide where you're going to be on Sunday morning. You decide where you're going to be on Wednesday night. You decide. It's, these are your priorities And I'm just telling you that if you want to see the power of God come into your life, you're going to need to clear the way and make room for him, make space for him. And so as I challenge people, I'm not challenging them to judge them or to condemn them or to write them off. I'm trying to help them get stuff out of the way so that they can receive the power of God. Because this is how the power of God comes to us when we clear the path. Like Jesus isn't going to go bust through the path. He's not going to remove stuff. And many of us are just sitting there. I just wish God would just remove this situation so that I could have more of him. You know, he's not not going to. Just wish God could just remove. I just have this temptation. I just need him to remove it. You're not going to remove it. He's not going to remove your temptation. You're going to live with that temptation. Can you remove the sin though? The responding to the temptation, the falling for the temptation over and over and over and over. That's what's getting in the way. It's not your temptation. Everybody's tempted. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the fact that you keep giving in to it. This is what's blocking God. I'm telling you, if you would, if you would, if you would clear that out of the way, you would receive the power of God to walk in a new level of purity that you've never known before. So get it out of the way. So, so, so when I call people out, I'm not just like calling them out to, to call them out. I'm calling them out in order to call them up. Because there's something that's in the way. And I'm trying to make the path straight. And City Chapel, man, we need, to, we need to call people up to make the path straight so that God can move in people's lives. So that God can revive and restore and do what only God can do. So we call, so John's calling people. John, in fact, this is why John died, by the way. Because he called out Herod. Because Herod married his, his brother's wife. Because Herod was in charge. So Herod could say, hey, uh, uh, I don't know what his brother's name. Bro, your wife's really cute. How about you get a divorce? I don't want to get a divorce. Well, you're going to have a divorce. Because he's in charge. And so he abused his power to steal his brother's wife. And then he married her. And John called him out. John, I don't know why you got to get all political. I mean... We didn't elect a a preacher. We knew he wasn't perfect. (laughs) I mean, Herod, he calls out Herod. Herod, like he murders people for fun, you know, like. Is out really? You're going to call out Herod? Come on, John. Call out the religious leaders. Call out like uh, Herod, the secular guy, the, the Roman who's got all kinds of problems. The least of which is marrying his brother's sister, his brother's wife. But okay. So he calls out Herod and Herod doesn't like it too much. By the way, if you don't suffer persecution, you're probably not loving like Jesus loved. Just to be honest, because Jesus loved so well that they killed him. He was so compassionate that they said, nope. (laughs) Because compassion isn't always wrapping your arm around somebody and telling them everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes compassion is you need to get this out of your life so that times of refreshing can come. So that the presence of the Lord can come to you. God's trying to get to you. You're blocking him. God resists the proud. Get rid of your your pride is blocking him, right? Your, your, Your patriotism sometimes is blocking him. Your arrogance sometimes is blocking him. Your plan is blocking him. Your priorities are all mixed up and it's blocking the path through which Jesus would come to you in power. And so John is calling people out, but he's calling them up. He's asking them to step up. In Psalm 24, it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. This is the goal, to lift up the, so this is what we do. We, we, we come up to people's lives and we ask them to open the door for Jesus that the king of glory would come in. Not so that we come in, but that the king of glory come in. Not so that religion comes in, but so that the king of glory can come in. And so he removed things that, that God has shared with us, our barriers to him. So he called out. He also called to people. He called out two people. Yeah, he, 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 he called out to them. And, he, and, and his message was, there's one coming after me. So, in other words, the message is always all about Jesus. <laughs> he wasn't trying to build a church. He wasn't trying to build a denomination. He wasn't trying to, to start the Baptist denomination. John the Baptist was not interested in Baptists, or groups, or the Nazarene. Jesus wasn't starting the Nazarene denomination. Like, they weren't interested in these, these sects of Christianity that we have created. Instead, he says, look, there's one coming after me. And for John, the whole purpose was that you see Jesus. That was it. There's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He, I baptize you in water. That's great. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And this is the hope that John had for the people he was calling out. He sincerely wanted them to receive Jesus so that then they could be filled with the Holy Spirit. This was his great hope desire and his great joy. In fact, uh, I think we have, uh, uh, we have on, uh, on the screen, John chapter four, uh, gives a small little interaction between John the Baptist. And I'd just like to close with this, this part of the story. Um, there's a, there's a part in John's gospel. So John, uh, who's not John the Baptist, who wrote the gospel of John, he spent a lot of time on John the Baptist. Spent the first couple of chapters really talking about him. And then there came this point in John chapter four, where Uh, there was a a conflict. So Jesus had started his ministry and Jesus is baptizing people out there at the Jordan as well. And then John is, is baptizing people and they're kind of next to each other. John's baptizing, Jesus is baptizing. And the, and, and more people are going to Jesus's church than is going to John's church. And so some of the followers of John get a little upset about this. They're like, well, what's going on? What's happening? Why is everybody going over there? And uh, and they, they they get a little they get, they get they get a little weird about it. And so Jesus actually packs up his ministry and moves away from John, so as not to create this tension. But the but the Pharisees try to capitalize on the tension and they try to stir it up. So they come to John and they're like, "Hey John, uh, what do you think about this Jesus guy? Because they know his followers aren't too happy about it. And so are you going to be an influencer or are you going to be popular?" So he says, man, this Jesus guy, the guy that you recommended, everybody's going over to him. They're leaving you. And John had this, do we not have that passage there? No? All right, so I'm, so I'm just going to do real time then. I'm going to look up John 4 to give you the exact words just so I don't get it wrong. But John, I guess I forgot to, to give you that slide. John chapter 4, if anybody else has it, my U version is mighty slow. Because um, my iPad is slow. I don't know, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta look down. You gotta, you got it on your phone? John 4, see who's listening, you don't. All right, so, so John 4. Oh, that's why, this is the wrong one, John 3. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so verse uh, 12, no, 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 let's keep going. So verse 17, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So that's, that's his first point, that influence comes from God, not from my popularity. But then he says, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And so John is aware that he goes before, he lays the runway. He who, and, then, and then, then then John gives this beautiful picture. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. And I've, I've preached on this before, so I don't want to spend long, but this is, this is John's joy right here. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, that's John, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's Voice. Therefore, the, this joy of mine is fulfilled, is made full. So, John says, Look, first off, influence comes from God, so I'm not going to try to be popular to gain influence. And secondly, I've been sent before him. I'm the paver, I'm the runway guy, right? And so, the fact that Jesus' ministry is taking off, that's good by me. But then he says, Let me draw another picture for you, and, he, and it's an it's a illustration from a Hebrew wedding from an ancient wedding. He said, look, it's kind of like when you go to a wedding. And back in those days, they would have a wedding. They would have the bridegroom, which that's, that's the groom. So you have the bride and you have the groom and they would have this, this ceremony, not incredibly unlike our ceremony uh, nowadays. So they would have this ceremony, but the part that is very much unlike our ceremony is in those days, like d- making sure that the woman was a virgin was a big deal. I don't know how to say that politely, but it was a big, big deal. Like it was a really big deal. And I know nowadays it's not as much a big deal, but it was a really big deal back then. So the way that it would work is you would have this wedding ceremony, exchange vows and so on and so forth, but all of the vows were actually conditional on her being a virgin. <laughs> so, so that's the way that it worked. And everybody understood that all these vows, everything that's happening, it's all conditional on the fact that she is what she says that she is and that she is pure like she says that she is. And so, and so it's a, like if you start to understand just the value that that they put on virginity, you'll start to understand all kinds of Old Testament laws along uh, surrounding marriage and surrounding sex in general. So, uh, you know, it's, it's so this is one of the reasons why Jesus didn't speak a whole lot to sex because he was living in a society that was like You don't do that ever, right? And so, unless you're married kind of thing. And so it was huge. So what would happen is they'd exchange vows, right? And then the bridegroom's best man or the friend of the bridegroom, which is what John says he is. John says, look, there's Jesus and there's his bride. So Jesus and people. And they're getting together and that's awesome. But that getting together is conditional, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that everybody will be saved. No, that whosoever believes on him. So there's this, there's this condition to salvation. And John recognizes that. He says, look, that's why I came to get the bride ready for the bridegroom. I came to clear the way so that those vows could be right. And so what happens, what what used to happen is uh, bride and groom exchange vows. And then before the party, they went to the hotel room and, and consummated their marriage. Now, in that consummation, this is, this is where you have to make sure that the bride is, in fact, pure, and that the groom is satisfied that she is pure. You know what I mean? So, what would happen is bride and groom would go off to the hotel room. It wasn't really a hotel room. It was like, you know, tents and stuff. And so they go into the tent and the bridegroom's friend, the best man, stands outside the door. (laughs) Kind of awkward, but he stands outside the door and you know, he's listening because he's the one that needs to verify, uh, that needs to listen for the the groom. And so the groom would call out from inside the tent that either, uh, yeah, she is what she says she is, everything's good. Everything is now consummated. It's all complete. Or he would say, yeah, She's not what she said she was. And the wedding's off. So, 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 so the. So the best man stood outside the door, and I know in our culture, this is awkward, but he stood outside the door and he listened for the groom. And sometimes the groom would say, man, she's not what she said that she was and the whole wedding is off. And so you see, they were preparing a feast because we have a party afterward. They had a seven day party afterward. So the groom's family is preparing this, this, this awesome feast and the groom's best friend is the one who goes and tells them, hey, wedding's on. Uh, they roll, that, roll, roll that steak some more, let's get some more beef in here, like we need to get ready. Or, wedding's off, guys, sorry. Everybody go home, go back to your employer, tell them you don't need the week off because we're not celebrating all way. And so this is why John says, look, he's like, he's like, look, I introduced the bride to the groom and then I have gone with the bride and the groom as, as they have connected with each other. And what happened is the groom is satisfied and happy with the bride. And so I'm fired up because now my job is to go tell everybody to start celebrating because Jesus and his bride have come together and Jesus has found his bride to be pure, to be ready. And he's fired up about that is his joy. And that is the great joy of every Christian. Not that we become intimate with everybody, (laughs) but that we stand outside the door as they go in with Jesus and get to know him even better. And that we rejoice, not when they join our church, not when they like us. The best man isn't supposed to be looking his best. <laughs> the best man isn't supposed to be like, how you doing? That's not a good best man. That's not a good friend of the groom, all right? But, but so many of the time we try to grab the attention of the bride and turn it toward us. I wonder how, I wonder how they, what they think about me. I wonder if they like what I said. I wonder if they like what I posted. I wonder if they accept me. And it's like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. The goal is that they come to accept Christ. And the goal is that they get intimate with Christ and that they actually forget about you because they're having such a good time with Jesus. Like, I don't really remember who said that. I don't really, but, but it just hit me and the Holy Spirit just moved in my heart. And I had this move of God. And it doesn't matter who said what or who laid hands on who or who, to, like, who has a special anointing for this or for that. And it's, and it's no longer about the best friend of the groom. It's just about the groom and the bride. And that's what I've loved actually about, about being a pastor. So I've loved about walking alongside people. Like when they come to me, that's okay. But I keep trying to get them alone with the groom because I'm not gonna be able to do for you what the groom can do for you. I'm not gonna be able to love you like the groom can love you. I'm not gonna be able to bless you like the groom can bless you. I'm not gonna be able to provide for you for the, for the rest of eternity like the groom can provide for you for the rest of eternity. Trust me, I'm just, I'm just the friend. I'm just the one who leads people to him and then I close the door, I close the curtain and I just listen to the groom. I'm not even listening for the bride. Did she like it? Is she good with this? is she happy about this no I'm listening to the groom is God pleased with people that I'm bringing to him is he finding joy in them is he happy that he's made this great covenant with them and then it's my job just to go get the party started it's my job just to run and get the like. Let's let's get some let's get some water and wine and, and all all the all the party stuff from the old time. Like let's 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 just let's celebrate when the bride and the groom come together every single time. We celebrate when new people come into relationship with Jesus. And so, Father, right now I just pray that you would, yeah, help us like John. It's interesting the Pharisees couldn't trip him up because he didn't care about the stuff the Pharisees cared about He didn't care about popularity So lord, let us be like john. Let us let us not be afraid to look weird sound weird (laughs) Eat differently than other people. Let us not be so afraid about what people think about us and let us be immensely concerned about their relationship with jesus Lord, even right now, would you lay on our heart, people, that we need to open our mouths and tell them about the one who really does love them, even more than we do. Tell them about the one who has paid the price for them, who has paid the dowry, who has gone through everything that he needs to go through in order to secure them and make them his own. This is the message of the church. This is the proclamation, not to come join us, but come join us. Be intimate with the lover of your soul. Come dwell with him. Come live with him. We we, we make the path straight. So Lord, let us do that in our own life. Let us clear out everything that's blocking intimacy with Jesus. Let us first be intimate with him. Let us first know him and be pleased by and, and, and and to please him. And let our lives please him. Let our secret lives please him in the secret place we we come out and and we call out and we call out to you right now lord we call out to our heavenly father and we ask for you to do what only you can do to bring revival to this region bring newness of life bring hope bring freedom bring peace bring conviction bring truth into our lives not to make us feel bad but to to invite us into a new level of relationship with our groom. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.